You are listening to a Raw Collective podcast. Hello and welcome to season two of What Matters Most, a podcast hosted by me, Antonia Preble, and my good friend, Jackie Maguire, who also happens to be a clinical psychologist. Together, we discuss issues that have a real impact on how we feel about and experience our lives. I get so much out of these conversations, and I hope you will too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very final episode of season two for What Matters Most. Once again, I feel like I'm kind of in a time warp because it feels like it's gone so quickly, and I feel like it's only been a couple of weeks since the last time I was saying welcome to the final episode in the season. But in fact, here we are, the final episode of season two. It has just been so wonderful for me and Jackie once again, getting all your feedback throughout the season. So thank you so much to every single one of you who's got in touch with us to let us know that you are finding what we are talking about useful and that you're able to implement the tools and the ideas that Jackie's been talking about into your lives. It really is just the best feedback for us. So thank you so much for that. And Jackie, I know you feel the same way. I do. And I just wanted to say to everyone, thank you to those of you that write me messages. And there are many of you. And it's my upfront apology to say if I haven't got back to you, I've read it. I read every message that comes through and I do my very best to get back to you. And some of you will know it might be six weeks or eight weeks later when I finally get there, but I will get there. But hearing your stories and hearing the impact that this podcast is having on your life really is so very meaningful. It is why we do this. So thank you. It really is why we do this. So uh, here we are at the final episode. Um, It's a bit of a biggie. And mm-hmm. we wanted to leave you with this season. We, we, of course, are coming back for season three, but there might be a, a break of a few weeks. So we just wanted to leave you with some thoughts and tools and advice on an issue that is affecting in some way everyone in New Zealand. It's also a significant issue globally. But for a lot of people in New Zealand, it's a real biggie. What am I talking about? I am talking about the cost of living crisis. So recent polling in New Zealand has shown that for a significant proportion of New Zealanders, it is their primary concern, and that for 57% of the people surveyed, they believed that the crisis is having a negative impact on their mental health. So this is a really, really big issue, and it has many and varied impacts throughout our professional and personal lives. Woohoo! <laughs> so today we are going to really dig into how this issue might be impacting us and how we might approach looking after ourselves and weathering this really stressful storm as best we can. So hopefully we can leave you with some ideas and perhaps you might feel slightly more optimistic about how to cope um, than previously. But Jackie, these polls, they're very sobering because it shows how significant an issue this is. But perhaps I wonder if it might offer some people some solace as well, because we're not alone in this, right? Like a lot of people are really struggling. We're struggling together. (laughs) I think we're hugely struggling together. And I've got a number of thoughts about why it feels like such a big struggle. I suppose as you hear those poll numbers, when we're talking about financial stress, currently we're not talking about people that are in the lowest echelon of of socio-demographic status, cost of living, the cost of your mortgage, what your supermarket bill is, you know, at the end of your shop, just our general day-to-day life, I think has become very poignant and present for a lot of New Zealanders, you know, especially I think those that sit in middle-class New Zealand, where if you compare that to three, four years ago, For many of us, if you are a homeowner, your mortgage rate is likely to have or will soon triple compared to when perhaps you locked it in. So I know um, we move house this week, so I'm very across interest rates, but the current floating mortgage rate is 8.34%, Antonia. Three years ago, I sat in Auckland and we fixed a loan for three years at 2.4%. It's about to come up and it will go to over six, potentially seven. And so you think about just the mortgage going out for people potentially 
tripling. You think about inflation at 6.2%. You think about food prices rising 12% over the last year. And I think fruit and veggies are at 22% or something that high. You know, you just think that this is an issue that is facing a really large sector of New Zealand and it's not contained to who you are, where you live, what you do. I think really it, it is widespread. I also think there's a perception perspective here, which is if interest rates had stayed high, you know, from the GFC at around 6 or 7% continuously, it would just be what we know. But we have had this period of time where interest rates have been really low, inflation has been low, and perhaps that has meant for many people life eased a little bit from a financial perspective. And it's been a pretty sudden, sharp shock for many, many people. And I don't think it is fair to go out there and say, oh, you should know better. And when you're locking in mortgages or buying houses or picking rentals, you should be able to forecast. You know, like that's a huge jump. And so I think this is a really important topic, given what we know about the impact of financial strain on wellbeing and mental health and how that kind of really permeates through our whole lives. Our whole lives. It has such a significant impact. And Jackie, I'm so glad uh, just the way you describe this issue, because I know a lot of people that I've spoken to about this issue who are all being negatively impacted, they've got their primary feelings of being really worried about how they're literally going to pay their bills, but they've sort of got these secondary feelings of guilt that they are even having these feelings because at the same time they are aware of the privilege that they hold. For example, like you just said, they're worried about their mortgage rates and they don't know how they're going to be able to pay them. At the same time, they're really aware that they're incredibly lucky to even have a mortgage. So this is an issue that does affect so, so many people, a huge proportion of our adult population. And I mean, I feel like whilst it's really important to have perspective and to always recognise the privilege that we have and to know that there are people worse off than us and to do what we can to support them, but at the same time, it is okay to validate your own feelings, right? Like at the same time that you can recognise, yes, there are people worse off than me, if you are having a tough time, you're allowed to have a tough time. And I think that part of that is self-compassion, which we've spoken about before, which is a very large topic of study in the psychology realm now, which is we really need to be able to talk to ourselves, treat ourselves the same as we would somebody else, having high critical thoughts internally around we should have known better how we got ourselves in this situation. How is that helpful? It's just not. You know, thoughts like that only further activate your fight or flight system, put you on edge, make you hypervigilant and move you further away from being able to calmly or rationally try and navigate the situation. I also think it's probably really important to know that through the research over decades, there's many impacts from financial strain on mental, physical, professional well-being. But one of them is that we know that self-esteem goes down in terms of that, do I hold some level of worth about myself in relation to providing for my family or the type of life that I can live either for myself or what I project to others? What does it mean about me and whether I'm successful in life or a failure in life, depending on the dollars in my bank account? You know, that really has been proven time and time again. And I think part of this discussion is to say you aren't alone let's try our best to say we're in this together and I'm more than the money in my bank account I'm more than the financial position that I am in Um, and if we can hold that greater picture we're giving ourselves a better chance of trying to navigate the strain decrease the the impact of stress so that we can actually try and think our way through this. Financial strain does seem to be a particularly gnarly kind of stress, right? Because not only do you have the very real logistical, tangible effects of worrying about money, can I pay my rent? Can I pay my mortgage? Can I keep my power on? Can I put food on the table? But like you said, it has these inherent connections to our self-esteem and how we feel about ourselves in a social group? Can I keep up with my friends? How how does the world see me? Do I go to that dinner? Because I'm not sure that if my friends say, let's split the bill, that I can do that. I could make conscious choices about, 
I'm only going to have one drink. I'm going to have an entree rather than a main. But what do I do in that awkward position if at the end of the meal, everyone just says, okay, let's split it, you know? And I go, but I can't, you know, absolutely seeps in. Yeah, the the shame around that. And then the logical next step would be, okay, well, I won't go out to the dinner. I won't see my friends. But then you just feel more disconnected and more distant. So that in itself is a bit of an insidious cycle. So when you look at what is the impact of financial strain, and and I would define financial strain as if you're worried about money, (laughs) if you're worried about your cost of living, if you're worried about upcoming bills, your financial stability as an individual or as a partnership or family, then I think that constitutes as financial strain, not the odd fleeting thought. But when that worry is, is pretty persistent across days and across settings, and when you look at the research, which is pretty robust, Antonia, there is a very clear correlation between financial strain and increased anxiety, which I don't think you need to be a psychologist to understand that. Then with depression, and again, you can look at that from so many angles, right? Anxiety and depression, unfortunately, are good mates. If you experience anxiety, we call it comorbidity in psychology. So they unfortunately go hand in hand many times. But also, if I can't afford nutritious food, so I'm eating cheaper alternatives that don't hold good nutritional value, we know the relationship between the gut and food and mood. If I stop doing things that I enjoy because they cost, then my positive emotions, my connections with people, potentially they go down. That impacts my mood and makes me more vulnerable to depression. So it's multifactorial to how we can see that relationship between financial strain and depression. We also know, unfortunately, that addiction rates go up, substance abuse goes up, and that's a clear relationship. And again, I think you can look through a lens of compassion and say, unfortunately, for many people, if we haven't got well-honed emotion regulation strategies, which is the last episode we put out, that when I feel very stressed, if I feel out of control, if I feel overwhelmed, if I'm feeling shame, if my self-esteem is suffering, then perhaps for some people over the course of their lifetime, the way they have managed that is through substances. The tricky thing and sort of insidious nature of this financial strain is all of those impacts that you just talked about makes you less able to deal and manage with the financial strain because your head is cloudy, your mood is low, you're not thinking clearly when really the best way to to deal with the problem in front of you is to deal with it, is to make a plan and navigate it. But if you're not feeling okay, if you're feeling really anxious or depressed or you're using substances to help, then you're in a less able position to deal with the issue, which will make it worse which, again, just increases the snowball. So it's a really tricky issue, isn't it? Yeah, and the the other side to this, Antonia, is that they're actually now starting to see physiological impacts of financial strain. So there's new research that's come out in the last few years which talks about your neuroendocrine response, it talks about your immune response, and what they're showing really is that energy levels drop significantly. We know that people find it harder to fight off disease, virus, illness when they're under financial strain. So... You know, not only might I feel shit, I might be anxious, I might have lost a bit of hope about my future, but also maybe I'm now physically not sleeping, I'm I'm really drained and fatigued, you know, and I just keep getting whacked by bouts of sickness. So as you can see, it really is a compounding effect of perhaps I have this financial strain and then really deteriorates my mental and physical health. Then, as you say, I'm not in a position to make good decisions or to navigate this and therefore probably my financial woes or my financial difficulties will increase. So it's this pretty awful negative cycle. It is. I Gosh, when you said, um, you know, talking about sleep, just not having sleep on its own is enough to really make your life so hard and for you to feel quite hopeless about your life. I mean... You're talking to two sleep-deprived parents here. Yeah, I'm thinking of, you know, my, my worst times with Freddie and Gus if I wasn't sleeping, and really that was an isolated issue. It's Life is so hard to get through and everything feels so much harder. So putting that on top of everything else you just talked about, Jackie, 
people are in a really tough situation and my heart just goes out to anyone who's listening who feels like they fall into this category. It is really tough and for anyone listening out there, I, I hope you can just take some solace in this is a really situational problem that is affecting you. It's not you, you are just having to cope with this and we will get on to talking about um, strategies that might help. Can I just add a third layer to this, which yeah. is think about people's mental and physical health deteriorating potentially because there is just this persistent and consistent worry and strain. And then think for yourself about your behavior when your mood is low or you're more anxious or you're not feeling well. Think about how you relate to other people. Are you your optimal self where you're kind and patient and take the benefit of the doubt and seek to understand? Or in those states, are you irritable, quick to criticize? Do arguments appear more regularly? And so I think another layer to this, unfortunately, then is when individuals, couples, households are under financial strain, relationship conflict goes up. And one of those strategies, which we'll get to, is people are really supportive, right? Like if you can have supportive conversations with someone that's non judgmental, if you are able to seek mentorship or advice for someone that's not just telling you what to do but can help you navigate, then that's a really powerful protective factor. So you think about a couple or a family that are able to be in this together, talk about how they're feeling openly, be aware of their worries, you know, discuss those, pragmatically sit down and think how we're going to navigate this. That couple's in a much different position to another couple that is unable to regulate the strain or stress and therefore you kind of get blow-ups regularly, right? You're having arguments, you're at each other, you're critical, you're negative. There's an impact of that strain and stress. Prepare for your next adventure with Emma Sleep. For over seven years, Emma has transformed the sleep of more than four million people worldwide by working with sleep experts to carefully design and engineer products that provide great support and pressure relief for your most peaceful sleep ever. Now you can wake up feeling fully refreshed, recharged and ready to face the day with a smile. Upgrade to the coolest, most supportive sleep today with their range of mattresses, mattress toppers pillows, mattress protectors, and even ensembles and bundles where you can save more. And if you're still unsure about upgrading, don't worry. Emma Sleep offers a 120-night trial for their mattresses and beds, so on the occasion you don't find it a match for you, you can simply return it within the 120-day period and get 100% of your money back guaranteed. But that's not all. They also offer a 10-year warranty for their mattresses and free delivery nationwide. So what are you waiting for? Head over to emmasleep.co.nz and shop using our code UMATTER for an additional discount. How do you know if you are facing financial stress? What's a kind of normal or realistic or okay level of emotional strain or stress to feel as opposed to when you might be slipping into something more like depression or anxiety as they are defined as a mental health issue and you might need extra help because you know it's sometimes quite hard to know <laughs> like am I am, is my reaction okay or should I is this not okay I suppose there are two ways for me to answer that question. From just a generalist mental health psychology perspective, we have two measures that we really look at when we go, is this manageable or does someone need extra support? One of those is how long have the symptoms gone on for? So are you consistently experiencing worry, low mood, irritability, sleep difficulties, migraines, tensions, what, whatever your symptoms are? Are you consistently experiencing those for at least two weeks <laughs> is actually the period of time we look at. Some people are really shocked about how how short that period of time is. And I think in, in the year when you think about people navigating their life, two weeks doesn't feel long. But if you think about someone that is all day, every day feeling like that, it's a pretty long time to feel like that without let up. So one is time and the second marker for us is how much it's impacting your daily life. So how much does that financial strain get in the way of you doing your job, parenting, 
socially connecting, engaging in activities you like, looking after your health, connecting with your partner, running the household, etc. So how long and how big an impact is one marker of looking at that, Antonia, through a very clinical lens. I suppose my guidance to people would be how often is that worried thought about your finances popping up? Like, is it just every now and then and you're actually, you're managing okay, there's enough fat buffer to get you through, it's just uncomfortable because life is not quite what we've been used to in the last three years? Or is there this persistent fear about, can I pay the rent and mortgage? How are we going to afford those school term fees coming up? How do I navigate social circles now that perhaps our financial situation is different to those of our peers or our family? If there is really persistent worry, you know, what percentage of your day do you spend thinking about money and finances and livability, cost of living, then about being able to go, how is that impacting me? Am I seeing changes to my thinking? Am I seeing changes to my mood? Am I seeing physical signs showing up? Am I starting to act differently now? You know, how are my relationships? If you can kind of give yourself an audit, I think that gives you an answer to really whether this is an issue or not. And it comes down, I think, to every individual going, how big a deal is this for me? Thank you, Jackie. That's great advice. Because often when we're in the maelstrom of this, we don't even really stop to do an audit and say, how am I? Because it might be that we do need extra support in this time. Another thing that came to me, Jackie, as you were talking is culturally, we're not good at talking about money, are we? Like we're sort of trained through our lives to, you know, you don't talk about money or politics. We don't talk about it. And it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it, to talk about having money worries? Do you feel like that's a bit of a block in people seeking support or, you know, getting support about this issue? I suppose I think, yes, one, we're not good at talking about money. And, I, you know, many of us, I'm sure, have been raised where what your parents earned was confidential. Now do you have the same rules in your family what size mortgage you have. I don't know, I'd talk about that with my very close, closest people, but not really outside of that. So yes, one one thing is maybe we don't have the, the mental framework to talk about money, but I think let's take our minds right back to the very first episode we ever did of What Matters Most around people's search for happiness, for meaning in life, and in the West, how so much of that is placed on status. And so Again, I think there is this inherent societal link for many people with wealth equating to status, equating to happiness, equating to success, which we know is different in Eastern cultures. And so again, how much is this people wanting to save face? We don't talk about it because we don't want to appear like we've failed. Yeah, it it makes so much sense. So what would you say, Jackie, is, is the number one thing people can start doing? today. And again, we're not going to we're not going to give financial advice. We are not not trained to do that, but luckily Jackie is trained to give psychological advice. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. <laughs> well, I think the first thing is we've got to get our head out of the sand. You know, sometimes a way that people manage the strain is is to avoid it or suppress it. And I think unfortunately whilst in the short term or the immediate, that can be quite nice because you don't have to face and look at your reality or or the difficulty of stress or strain long term that just increases the impact. And so, you know, my first thing is, can you really sit and be aware about how you are, how you're feeling, your level of worry? Ask yourself, what percentage of my day do I spend thinking about our financial situation or or what percentage of my thought is accumulated with financial stress or anxiety? Can you sit and be aware about what you're feeling and can you label that for yourself? So last episode, we talked about name it to tame it. If you can be aware of it, if you can validate that that's a really understandable reaction given the situation that we all find ourselves in, I think that hopefully reduces some of that stigma, it normalises it And hopefully what that does is reduce your fight or flight reaction, calm you so that you can then be in a position to do something about it. So I think awareness is the first step and gently, kindly responding to yourself when you start to become aware of perhaps what you're feeling or how it's impacting you. 
And it takes real bravery to do that, doesn't it, Jackie? Like, I'm just imagining the situation where there are, you know, the envelopes come in and you know their bills. The phone rings and you know it's your insurance company because you haven't paid the latest instalment or something. Like, those moments are really scary. And in that moment, it does feel a lot easier to just not open the envelope and put it under something to not answer the phone because that conversation is going to be too challenging. So this this step really does require bravery. Yeah, I think it really does. And, you know, my second step here really is to actually just get practical with this. What's within my control? How can I manage that? But if we kind of go to step 1A before we get to 2, if you're in a partnership, if your life is financially connected to somebody else, then I think it's really important that you are able to share how you are feeling with that person. And let's now loop back to our mental load episode. We want to be able to carry the financial strain and make decisions together with our partner. I really think it is important that you are able to have a conversation with them around how you're feeling and around your concerns. And let's now look back to season one around how to have difficult conversations. All our conversations start to become connected, Antonia, is that I really think I'd be entering that conversation from a very neutral, non-judgmental, non-blaming, I'm here to share with you and I want you to understand how I have been feeling. So you may have noticed that lately I have been more irritable you know you might start down that track and and explain why that's the case or you may say I really want us to have a conversation around our, our current finances because I am noticing that this is having a significant toll on my well-being and I know that probably sounds easy having that conversation but if you're having that conversation or you're financially entwined with another person They have their own set of money values and beliefs. They have their own mental health history. They have their own current levels of well-being. They'll have their own strategies about how to manage stress. So, you know, if you're in a relationship or, you know, you're financially dependent on someone that's a avoider, for example, they may not want to have that conversation with you. You know, if they're a head through the sand, let's not look at it and, and let's just cross our fingers and pray that we'll be okay, You know, you may have an uphill battle trying to have that conversation, but I think it is really important that you are able to share how you feel. I was also just thinking as you were talking, some people's coping strategies in times of stress is to spend more money. It's to spend more money. You know, and so, well, whatever side of the coin you're on, but it might be that you have to have a conversation with the person you are financially entwined with about their spending which is really tricky, isn't it? I mean, having to, you know, say that the behaviour is impacting you negatively is, is a really difficult thing to do, but we got to do it. Yeah, and maybe it's the order that you have the conversation in, Antonio, I suppose, is, is my response to that, which is let's share the worry and concern from a non-judgmental perspective. If you're on your own or if you're in a partnership or couple, then I think the next step is to go, how do we want to weather this term? How do we want to get through this? both from a well-being perspective, but also a finance perspective. Like, what's our goal about how we're going to ride the storm? And then if you've got a mutual and aligned goal, either you've got a clear goal for yourself or in a partnership you've got a, a mutually aligned goal, well, then your next step, right, is, well, how are we going to achieve that? And I think in the how are we going to achieve that, from a practical sense, there are a number of things we can be doing. I'll get to that in a second. But from a psychological point of view, perhaps part of that practical planning is, Am I aware of what triggers my spending? Am I aware about how I manage stress or strain? And if shopping has been a way of, you know, making yourself feel better from a stress perspective, if shopping has helped you improve your self-esteem in the past, then I think being able to just, again, non-judgmentally be aware of that is helpful because you can say, okay, I know that that's a trigger for me. So how am I going to put plans in place to try and find an an alternate way of navigating my strain, my stress, my hit to my esteem through this period of time. Oh, it's big stuff, isn't it? Having to really reflect on our coping strategies. Like they really cut to the quick of who we are and often there's a lot of shame around them. So again, we are not underestimating how potentially difficult and delicate these conversations are.
So when Jackie and I were thinking about sponsors for this show, it was really important to both of us that we partnered with companies that align with our values and our way of thinking. Absolutely, it was a non-negotiable. So we are really delighted to team up with Whoop, a beautiful food box company that helps you create delicious dinners in under 30 minutes. Do you know, Antonia, my family have used Whoop over the years, and if you're anything like me, which I know you are, life is busy and the mental load is large, and I'm always looking for effective shortcuts to make life simpler and easier. And with Whoop, it is amazing. The veggies are pre-chopped, the sauces are handmade, and man, can you taste the difference. The recipes are just so easy to follow, and what I love is that the ingredients are sourced right here from New Zealand. And Antonia, this is the bit I know you will love. With Whoop, there is so much less chopping, less mixing, less faffing, and what does that mean? It means less cleaning up. Yes, Jackie, you know me very well. The no chopping and way less cleaning up factors could be my favourite parts of Whoop. And I actually find that Whoop just makes my whole day easier, just knowing that I don't have to think of what we're going to eat, I don't have to go to the supermarket, I just don't have to think about dinner at all is a huge weight off my mind. I'm getting hungry talking about all this beautiful food. Do you know another wonderful thing about Whoop is that everything is recycled through their back-to-base program. You just rinse out the containers, you put all your packaging back in the box, even the soft plastics, and you leave it out to be collected when your next box is delivered. And if all that wasn't tempting enough, Whoop are offering our listeners 30% off their first box. So you just head to whoop.co.nz and use the code podcast at the checkout. That's w-o-o-p.co.nz and use the code podcast. So from a practical perspective, Antonia, look, neither of us are financial advisors, but in the psychological literature, it is really clear at an individual level can you sit down and can you write a budget? Yeah, <laughs> like right. What is coming in per week and what are your outgoings? And so can you completely line item out your life? You might have to take track for a week or two. You might have to go through your FPOS accounts or your visa accounts and really work out what your outgoings are. For some people too, that of course may involve paying off debt that's already incurred. So can you line item that out? And really, initially, do you have enough coming in to be able to pay your going out? And then I think the process is going through and going, well, what are the nice-to-haves versus the essentials? Can you go through that list pragmatically? And can you go, actually, this is a a hunker-down period of time? So there really is this, you know, practical budgeting advice. And again, of course, I'm not a financial advisor, but I'm really happy to share what I've learned over the past, things that my family are doing now, which is like, we have a budget for food now, Antonia, and I I take that money out in cash on a Monday. And that's the food money for the week. Once it's gone, it's gone. And how many of us just, you know, we have a local four square. How many times do I pop down to the local four square and every time I come out at 60 or $80, I only need yeah. three or four items and, <laughs> and boom, it's another 80 bucks. Yeah. And yeah. so it's like, actually, that's a behavioral management way of going, I'm actually going to change how I spend. I'm going to become conscious of it rather than the plastic card or, or now my phone where I'm not sure about where my money goes. This is some research that's come out of New Zealand, actually, where Gen Z's compared to millennials or baby boomers, appeared to change their behaviour more in the last three months compared to money. Some of the things they did were, you know, deleting credit cards off their phone, deleting social media, because how many people now, perhaps even in younger generations, do a lot of like online shopping through Instagram. So they're, you know, removing apps like that. Do I I swap my gym membership for going for runs? And and that's a toss-up for people because exercise and community is a real benefit and protective factor to well-being which we don't want to eliminate you know and so so you have to make the call yourself of can I get those benefits in a cheaper or free way that's a toss-up for you but really yeah trying to behaviorally shift and change the way we're spending and then I think the psychology component to that Antonia is around habits so we have habits on how we spend we have habits on which nights of the week perhaps your family get takeaways. We have habits on how we celebrate events. We have habits all throughout everyday life. That we don't even potentially recognize as habits. We just think of them as this is life. This is how you do it. This is the only option. Yeah. Yeah. So again, maybe it's just like taking that life audit. And so 
For example, if you are a family that have been really big gift givers on birthdays or Christmas time, and that is a big source of financial strain. I know families that, that pay off that debt for months after Christmas. And it's like, actually, would you want somebody else in your life paying off debt to buy you a present? Like my answer to that is no. Gosh, no, I just want your company. Or can you sit down and have a conversation as a family about, you know, it's really important that we are able to communicate through generosity that we care about each other and, and that, you know, giving is really important to us. But can we do it this way by we just do Secret Santa this year? Or, you know, actually we're going to make presents this year. Or let's limit our spending to a certain amount. Or can we get creative about how we do that? Or, you know, what's the sentiment behind why you have that habit? And is there another way of achieving the habit that costs less? Yes, that's such good advice. With, say, the example that you talked about earlier of not wanting to go out for dinner because the bill might be split and you don't think you're going to be able to do that, and then that causing separation between you and your social group, again, which can have an impact on your well-being, I'd say if you're going through your budget, going out for dinner would probably almost definitely be on a nice to have, but that doesn't mean that that's the only way you can see your friends. That just might be the habit that we've formed. The, the way I catch up with my friends is to go out for dinner with them, meet them at the pub, have a beer. So you can, again, come up with other ways, right? Like come round to your house for a, a potluck dinner or meet in the park for a picnic. Like you can get more creative in giving the initiative for different ways of catching up with people and still having that community and connectedness that doesn't cost money. It doesn't have to cost money fundamentally. But I think the step before that is... Is there someone in that social group that you feel connected enough to to be able to really share what's going on? Rather than, I suppose, trying to put a front on and, you know, I'm just suggesting these alternate ideas because wouldn't this be fun or a great way to do that? It takes a lot of mental effort, I suppose, to keep the mask on. And I'm not saying go out there and be vulnerable and tell everybody that you're having financial stress or struggles. But do you have, you know, in your close circle people that you want to spend time with, people that fill your bucket. You know, my hope would be that with close people, you are able to say, I'd absolutely love to do that. But at the moment, we're tightening our belts or we're really just needing to be conscious on our spending. You know, I so want to catch up. Is there another way we can do that? Because if you are able to have an honest and transparent conversation, it just takes away that feeling of needing to act. Yeah, and the, the pressure that builds up in us, right? That mental, psychological pressure. It's just like letting off, opening the lid on it. It makes you feel, yeah, so much better. I think the other practical advice here, Antonia, which, which is like go and get yourself official financial advice. So for those that are in a workplace, if you've got an EAP or an employer assistance provider, many of those providers will have financial coaches on board. Can you access and go and see a financial coach? Do you go and see the Citizens Advice Bureau in terms of getting financial support? Do you need to talk to your bank? Is there someone in your life that's pretty wise and, and good with budgets and money? Can they sit down and help you? If you there really is worry and strain around budgeting, how to budget, actually can somebody help me look at this and go, are we going to survive through this or do we need to make some changes? Do we need to make some decisions? Get some really good advice around that. Then you've got a team around you, right? Like you're not weathering this on your own, just in your own mind. Yeah. And we know that support is just fundamental, right? Support is critical. We're social beings. And if we feel like we're backed, if we feel like we're not isolated and lonely, our well-being will prove better and we'll be in a better space, as you said much earlier, to make some really good, clear decisions. And hopefully not filled with those secondary emotions that you were talking about, Jackie, such as shame for being in this situation, because it really is not a shameful situation at all. It's just a very difficult time in the world. And hopefully, once you do have the confidence to be vulnerable and share this, we really hope that you have had a positive response to that of people who understand and probably relate with their own situation. Because again, we're all in this together at the moment. And if we feel okay about what we're talking about, there's so much less in the way, isn't there, to just get on and then do the practical steps that we know we need to do to navigate this. And I'm not saying go and 
share your inner workings of your family or your finances with everyone. Like be really selective about who you have yeah, that conversation trusted with. Trusted people. But who knows, you opening up might actually give somebody else permission to open up as well. I bet that will happen. <laughs> that will definitely happen. You might not only be helping yourself, but helping others. Yeah, taking the stigma off for someone else. And I suppose it's really important to note that I put the practical advice before the general wellbeing advice because if you have a root cause to strain and stress, it's kind of like no matter how much self-care you do, if there is a really large driver of strain, that will impact you no matter how many runs, baths, cups of tea, Sudoku's you nail, like it's not going to take the edge off this really big, large strain. So that's the reason I've ordered that, you know, be aware of what's going on. Talk to the person if you've got a financial relationship with someone. Can you be honest and transparent about how that's impacting you? Then can you have this really good practical lens about how you budget, what your finances actually look like now? Do you need to get advice around that? And then the next step, of course, is do you have good general wellbeing practices in place to support you through this period of time. One, because it's just bloody good for you to have good wellbeing habits in place, no matter what period or situation we're in. Even if you've got no financial strain. <laughs> you know, like that's beneficial to our mental health and wellbeing. But also knowing that financial strain does negatively impact our both mental and physical health. Like how, how much can we protect ourselves or buffer ourselves against that? So, you know, that's, I suppose, the last part of my practical care advice is what have you got in place for yourself and within your family to wrap the cotton wool around you during this time? Well, let's, I think it's worth talking about that, Jackie. We have talked about general wellbeing advice in previous episodes, but I think it's always good to talk about it. And I, I think I would feel better if we send people out at the end of season two with these tools and these ideas, if only just to knock them to the front of our heads again. So are you able to talk a bit about how we can best help ourselves in addition to the practical steps we've already taken at this time. Sure. And I think there are so many models that you can use to talk about this. The one that's integral to my work is Te Whare Tapa which is the Māori model of mental health. I think potentially I mentioned that very way back in season one, episode one. But Te Whare Tapa was created by Sir Mason Jury. It's a New Zealand model of mental health. I want you to picture a marae meeting house in front of you. And this model basically says you have four walls to your whare, four walls to your meeting house, and they all need to be strong. They all need to be strong to hold up the building. And if any of those get weak, if any of those are struggle, then the integrity of your building goes down. You know, if you have multiple areas that are weak or struggling, you know, your building may collapse. And so it's this holistic look at what are the components of our life that help really come together to support our mental health. And so those four components, I'll give you an overview and then I'll go through each of them. Uh, one, te taha tinana, your physical health. Two, te taha hingingaro, which is your mental or psychological health. Three, te taha whānau, which is your social connections, your social health. And four, te taha wairua, which is your spiritual health. And that's what makes this model quite unique to New Zealand, is that it includes spiritual health, which is not just about religion or faith. It's really about what feeds your soul. And so you know, if you go through those four elements, and if we start at your physical health, te taha tinana, then of course there are the basics that we know. Are you exercising regularly so that you have endorphins and serotonin, happy good drugs around your body? From a nutrition perspective, and actually just to be cheeky, but if you want to know more about this, I actually interviewed um, Julia Rutledge, who's a professor around micronutrients and our health on Mindbrew, which is my previous podcast. There's a really good interview with her around the relationship between gut health and mood, but what you put in your body from a nutrition perspective makes a difference. Actually makes a difference, a tangible difference. <laughs> yeah. And I had quite a robust discussion with Julia around cost of food and how families can do that in terms of we know that good healthy food is more expensive yeah, than just have gone up the coke on the shelf. Yeah. So, you know, how do you eat really well for your mood? Your sleep, how do we ensure that we are getting adequate sleep because that is just so 
fundamental to restoring your body recovery, being able to be present, perform well, be effective in your day. You know, how much do we manage our, our substance use? Uh, but also I think what's really important is there is how much, how much time we get recovery or rest. So, you know, if you think about strain, stress, and how we manage that, your body needs breaks from that. You know, our fight or flight system needs to be able to dial down. And, you know, if we're under consistent strain, that just builds up cortisol in our body, our stress hormone. So do you have periods of time in your day where, where your mind can rest so you're not on a phone, you're not consuming, like, you know, screeds of information that's either unhelpful for you or amplifies your stress. So I talk about being informed but not consumed. So like, be really mindful about how you're spending your time, what that's doing for your physical health, and ensuring you do get breaks off devices. I think that's really important from a physical perspective. Because it can feel like when you're scrolling that you are relaxing, right? Because you're just kind of like mindlessly doing it. But the fact is your mind is not mindless as they're doing it. It is still really, really having to work. And it's a very different thing to relax whilst on your phone versus relaxing while not on your phone. Exactly. Then you have your hingangaro, your psychological health, which, you know, we've spoken in previous episodes about, you know, how you regulate, you know, your emotions or a part of that might be how you regulate or, or manage unhelpful thoughts. But I suppose from a positive, proactive perspective, you know, from a psychological perspective, what do you do in your everyday life that gives you the good stuff in life? How do you get all the positive emotions, high frequency positive emotions? It doesn't have to be intense. It just has to be high frequency. So what gives you joy? What gives you a sense of mastery? What gives you a sense of accomplishment? You know, what do you do that makes you laugh? All those small things, be it cooking, gardening, doing your crossword, watching your children delight in something, reading the bedtime stories at night and enjoying that moment of peace or connection with each other. What's the good stuff that you do? For you, Antonia, it might be, I don't know, you love to act and when you're in it, it puts you in flow and it gives you good positive emotions from a passion perspective, from a enjoyment achievement perspective. So so what are the things that give you the good? Mm-hmm. And they don't have to be these wildly fabulous things they can be they're just the things that are already in your life and recognizing what they are and focusing on them you don't have to go skydiving or or something to get these feelings it's just looking in front of you it's small every day I should have put in my physical just while I'm thinking about it getting outside and into nature really important for your well-being both from a vitamin D sunlight perspective to help you sleep and produce melatonin, but also we know pretty clearly in the research that when you're in green, green or blue spaces, when you're in nature, it drops your cortisol levels. So getting out of the office, out of the house and going for a walk where you're seeing trees or rivers or sea or bush is really important. And again, actually helps, like actually helps because like this advice, what I love about it is it's very straightforward advice. You know, you don't have to do anything that is too different from your normal routine, but just a few changes that hopefully, if we consciously do it, are relatively easy to implement because it's right there in front of you. But we just have to recognize that it actually makes a difference. What you put in your mouth will actually make a difference. Seeing a tree will actually make a difference. (laughs) Connecting to your children. It does. It, it it actually does. They're seemingly small things and so sort of mundane that you think, well, how could this make a difference? But it does. It does. From a um, Tatahafano perspective, I think that's about, again, going, who in my life is good for me? Who in my life fills my cup? Who in my life, when I walk away from them, do I feel nourished by them? And how do I really try and form meaningful connections with those people through this time? Is it about knowing, for example, that how we communicate to people strengthens relationships. So I'm going to make an effort when I'm with people to actually really try and listen to what they're saying rather than, you know, I'm going to use my two ears and one mouth in that proportion and I'm going to really try and engage and listen and understand about what's going on in that person's life because that will strengthen that relationship. Do we want to go and try and do novel things together? Let's go and do stuff together. Let's go for a walk. Let's go check out the local markets. Let's go like this free stuff that we can do, but we're doing it together. Let's go and try some of that stuff out because when we do things together, 
it activates our neural pathways, it excites us, our brain goes, oh, this is, I'm going to pay attention because this is not the same mundane thing we do all the time and it helps strengthen our relationships. So, you know, do we go and actually try and do stuff with people together? Do I pre-schedule FaceTimes, phone calls, get-togethers with people so they're in the diary so I ensure that I have my frequency of connection. So, you know, really looking through that lens of relationship, connection, who do I want to connect with and how do I do that? And I think there's a whole other episode that we can talk about about how to strengthen couple relationships. But, you know... (laughs) Put that on the list for season three. Yeah, my, my one kind of quick tidbit is with you and your partner, can you spend 15 minutes a day where you, like, don't have distraction, the TV's not on, the kids are not around, you just have this conversation with each other, you know, for 15 minutes a day without distraction, which is not a checklist, it's not a chore list, it's not a to-do list, it's a connection point where you talk about your day or what's going on for you or, you know, can you have literally 15 minutes a day? Yep. It's a good one. I'm just yeah. Yeah, thinking how easy it is for that even to be eroded and for all the time that you have with your partner to be spent talking about admin. <laughs> so yeah, yes. to, to carve that no out. Admin. No admin. To carve that out for 15 minutes, I think, yeah, I can I can totally see the value of it and um, that we should probably do that. <laughs> Dan, it's on the list. It's on the list. 15 minutes a day. <laughs> and so my last quadrant is a whare tapafara is te wairua, your spiritual health. And really, that's just a question of what fills your soul? What are the things that really give you the warm well-being from your internal core outwards? So is it music? Is it connection to your whenua tapu, to land, to the environment? Is it cooking? Is it knitting? Is it volunteering? Is it supporting somebody else going through struggle? What is it that fills your soul? And can you get that every day or every week? So, you know, if you look through that model, that is one lens of being able to look through how we self-care and how we, I suppose, bolster our holistic mental health. Well, Jackie, thank you so much uh, for that conversation as per usual. I personally got so much out of it and I really hope that for people listening, you did too, because we hear you and we see you and we feel you. These are these are difficult times we live in, but as Jackie said, we will get through it. There's absolutely room for hope and the way we can get through it the best we can is by implementing these really practical strategies that do take a bit of courage they do take a bit of time and focus but the issue itself is serious so it does warrant some serious response to it so again we thank you so much for listening to this season and we'll be back before you know it uh we've already got some wonderful topics that we want to talk about next season. But if you do have any ideas yourself, please do get in touch with us because we would we would love to hear from you and talk about the things that matter most to you. And Jackie, thank you so much once again for all your, your beautiful insight and knowledge this season. It's just been so fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure, Antonia. You are a gem. Thank you, and uh, thank you for putting up with my croaky voice today. (laughs) (laughs) Malwell, right back at you. Um, Thank you to (laughs) Hannah, our beautiful producer at Raw Collective, who gives us so much support and guidance and keeps us on track, (laughs) somehow managing to juggle many balls in the air herself, including a newborn. So thank you so much, Hannah, for all your help uh, to Whoop and Emma Sleep, our amazing sponsors this season. Thank you for for jumping on board. Uh, But yeah, for everyone else, please go well out there, go gently on yourself, and we'll be back before you know it with season three. Bye. Kakite anō. Ciao. That was What Matters Most for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy this week's episode, it would be great if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast as that helps let other people know that we're here. Thanks again. See you next time.